Welcome to Transcendent. I'm Joe Jones, and I'm the dad. And I am Raya Jones, and I'm the daughter. And of course, as I mentioned, this is Transcendent, and today's topic is, let's see, you've been Raya for six years now, six is that right? Six years now, that's mm-hmm. right. So let's talk about that. Okay, so six years ago... How much different were you emotionally than you are right now? Oh, very different. I mean, a big big issue is just the fact that I had to go through an entire second puberty, which, because that's when I started hormones. And I mean, the hard thing about it is knowing that you're about to go through puberty and then actually going through it. There's no knowledge that you can have that makes that easy. There's nothing that you can do that makes that, you know, more acceptable. You know, we we look back on, oh, here's how I was when I was a teenager. And, oh, look at all those crazy things that I did. And we feel like, well, I've learned so much from it. But I had learned all of my lessons from going through puberty. And then I went through it a second time. And I went through all of those same emotional ups and downs all at the same, all right away again. But I did it as a 40 year old. So I, I, I would, I was sort of living it out and looking also at myself from the outside thinking, but I'm not like this. And how much, how long do you think it, it took you to go through that? Was it a two year period or a, or a four week period? Oh, it's hard to say because it's sort of a curve where it's, you know, the first year was really hard. I would say the first, yeah, the first year was hard. Maybe the first two years, the first three. I mean, it's hard to say because the curve kind of gradually goes away. I would say it's safe to say I'm mostly through it now. But it's, there was no time where I could say, oh, now I was done. It it was just a long process. And when you talk about going through puberty, I don't understand that completely. At 40 years old, wh- how can you identify that? How do you know that, oh, yeah, well, this is just a, a stage that I'm going through? So you know how it is if you have just a really bad day at work and you you come home and you just feel emotionally exhausted. Okay, that normally happens, let's say, on a scale of 1 to 100 of, of the bad things that can happen with 100 being the worst. Let's say that, you know, it's we're at like a 70. Okay, except that I would discover that I was having a 70 day when I was at a 30, wow. you know, and I, I would be thinking, this should not be affecting me like this. And I would be emotionally off the charts and know that I shouldn't be emotionally off the charts the way that I was, but I was. When you first started this, what were your biggest concerns? What were the things that you were either concerned about or afraid of or uh, anxious about? What What was it in the beginning that said, wow, I don't know if I should do this or I don't know, should I, should I be telling people about this uh, or am I going to be offended because people aren't accepting what I'm doing right now where were you what was it what was the big thing that was that was really in your face well I think that I thought it was going to be a lot more shameful than it was um on one of the things that I didn't anticipate is how much my emotions 
would latch onto this. And so they're, they're really both positively and negatively. So for instance, let me start with the negative one is that I said, I told myself beforehand, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that gets really mad and offended when somebody gets my pronouns wrong. Or if somebody says my old name, I'm just going to roll with it. I don't need to be one of those people that makes a big deal out of it. But what I didn't anticipate is how much emotion would come along with those things. When I actually got there, it was like escaping tyranny. And so then to be reminded now of my old name feels like a reminder of tyranny that I used to live under, which I did not anticipate because when you're living in it, you live in it so long that you don't realize how much it affects you. But it, it it's a little bit like living in smog maybe. And then you get out to the country and you get to experience what fresh air feels like. Do and you feel that same thing about your history? What about old pictures, for example? Actually, pictures don't bother me. I don't know why. So pictures are not the biggest thing. When I see pictures, it reminds me of, uh, it, it feels like I'm looking at somebody else. But for some reason, my name, there's something about my name that is harder uh, than I expected. But by the same token, it's not all negative. Then there was positives as well. So what I, I, I didn't anticipate the good feelings that would come. So I thought that I would feel ashamed when I came out to people, but I didn't realize that at the same time as I was feeling those, you know, some level of shame, I was also feeling a much more overwhelming sense of, I don't know, wholeness or completeness and satisfaction that way outweighed any sense of shame. So I ended up not feeling ashamed at all like I thought that I would. That's interesting. Now, on my end, I never thought of it until you said it. But I would say that shame was certainly something that was at the top of my list. Because all of a sudden, I have to tell somebody or do it? Maybe don't. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Uh, I don't know. Well, I want to tell, no, I don't want to tell somebody. So it was really a problem for me, and I'm sure for mom as well. It was the same situation. In the beginning, it was best to hide it, not say anything. And if somebody else would bring it up, don't say anything about that. So we weren't going to get into that at all. And uh, that probably was for a few weeks. And I can remember the very first person I told was one of the guys that was a district governor at the same time I was. He came down to, to Texas to visit, and, well, we weren't really sure we were going to say, finally, well, we've got something to tell you, you know. <laughs> so we, we, really had to, we really had to work up the courage to mention it. And then one by one, we added a few more people, and, and it, it then it became a little easier. And I'm sure with other people we now know who are involved in LGBTQ things, um, I'm sure that they go through the same thing on both sides. Sure. sure. You know, it's not at all uncommon. But I never thought of it until you chose the word. I never thought of it as shame. I thought of it more as embarrassment. Yeah. 
But I thought, after you said it, I thought, yep, I think it was shame, and I never probably would have looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what it was. And boy, was I wrong. You know, I'm proud of you for having done that. I really am. I, it's not anything to be ashamed of. It's something to be proud of. The fact that you were willing to do that, to save yourself. And it means I get way more time with you. That's fine. That's wonderful. I have no problem with that at all. The problem was not in, in oh, what am I going to do with this? Because you heard me say many times in the very beginning, either I accept it or I lose you. There is no in-between. And there is no getting together. And every time we get together, bringing it up and saying, now why are you doing that? Or couldn't you just do that? Couldn't you just do that while you're at home by yourself? You know, and uh, there was trying to negotiate and bargain. I didn't do that. At least I don't remember doing no, that. No, you didn't at all. You, I accepted fact, it immediately. You were almost overwhelmingly supportive in a way that we kind of questioned. In fact, I had conversations <laughs> with mom and I said, is, is dad in denial? <laughs> because you were you were so supportive and you said, no, it's just it's a thing and yeah. I just accept it. Uh, but it does sound like there were more things now where I think in our one-on-one you were accepting, but to discover that it had a lot more ramifications. I, at the time that I transitioned, I had to take all of the brain power that I now can devote to all of the things that I'm thinking about in my life, but I had to think about how how is my voice right now and how am i dressing and i've been meaning to talk to you about that (laughs) (laughs) well and it is so when when i transitioned originally it was everything i mean you have to think about everything and you're buying a whole new wardrobe and at the same time i had just left the house then so i was setting out on my own i had to stock a whole new apartment Mm -hmm. and i mean i had i really had to figure out life all over again so at that time to think that I would have had the mental capacity to, to be, I, I wish that I could have been more empathetic to those around me, but I just didn't have the space. It was, I had to rethink everything in my life and every single thing I did that, you know, you and I do now on autopilot, like you, you get up in the morning and you think, what am I going to wear? And you don't put that much thought into it. I had to put a ton of thought into all of that. I remember uh, the the first time I saw you wearing makeup, and I said, "How did you do? How did you figure out how to do that so quickly?" And I remember you said, oh, "I looked at it online." <laughs> That's what everybody does. You just you Google it, and there's good tutorials. Although I have to say, uh, that actually Diana helped. Uh, not I wouldn't say a lot, but she did help at one point. So that was something that was very humbling as well. Mm-hmm. I, and who I is Diana? Uh, that's my ex-wife. Yes. So we still uh, think of her as our daughter-in-law, you know. And I actually, when I'm referring to her for people that don't know and I don't want to share the whole story, I typically will call her my sister-in-law because that conveys the sense of the relationship that we have. And mm-hmm. we really do still have that kind of relationship. But there was a time early on where I was, because I had kept my head shaved. So as, as I transitioned, I had to wear a wig and my wig, I did not know what I was doing with that wig. And 
and I remember just at one point just being in tears and just thinking, I am never going to get this. I'm never going to understand it. And uh, Diana and I, I came over and Diana was there and she said, here, let me help you out. And she helped me. I don't remember if she combed through it and she helped put things on it, whatever it was. She helped me get through that one of those first times that I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for her. But she was uh, she was not. Um, and I don't think still is thinks that this is what was the right thing for me, but she accepted that it wasn't going to go away because she had seen the struggles for a long, long time. So you're saying as far as the wig goes, it's definitely a hair better now. <laughs> I guess. I don't think that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're missing a great opportunity there, you know. Uh-huh. So, but I think when I... Think back on it now. It wasn't really difficult for me to accept it. You were right. Uh, as as you came through what you saw, how I was going through, I think you, you had it right. I was pretty accepting of it. What was difficult for me was not you, but everybody else. How am I going to, how is this going to change the relationship? It's kind of like, oh yeah, did you know that our kid's in prison? <laughs> You know, people wouldn't do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you might say, "Yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, my kid's in prison." But, well, that's the way it is, and it's just fine with me. It wasn't like that. Uh huh. When do you think the change came, where you shifted over from embarrassment or shame to, I guess, just proud of me? You were that I came out. Probably when we start having having regular dinners together on Wednesday. That really strengthened the relationship and brought it back to the same loving parent-child relationship because we were spending more time together and we were really totally open with one another. And I will admit, you going through this puberty thing, was walking on eggs for me. And you would react sometimes to things I'd say, and I'd think, what? That was nothing. (laughs) And other times I'd say, well, I'd like to say something, but I don't know how she's going to react. And so that Uh part of it was difficult. But by the time we started having this regular weekly meeting, actually that became very, very cool and something I really looked forward to Every single Wednesday night. And I do too. And I do too. And I think when I talk about going through that second puberty, the, the hard thing about it is I like I didn't want to be that way. I've never wanted to be that way. And I'm an adult. So that's the thing that's so hard is is going through that as an adult and knowing this is not how an adult is supposed to behave, but yet feeling so out of control. And I don't know this at all, but I think that it's part of it is just your body getting used to those new hormones and learning how to navigate it. But you think, well, I should know how to do this. But you don't. It's it's uh, It takes a lot of practice, I think. When did you start taking the hormones? So I actually started at the very beginning of 2015. So about January of 2015. And I actually transitioned then on Memorial Day of 2015. And... When you first started taking those, uh, did you have to get a doctor's prescription, or is this something oh, you yeah. can buy from mm-hmm. some guy on the street? There are. You can get them. You can order them. But 
I, I would recommend not to. And in mm -hmm. fact, everyone would recommend not to, although I know people that do, but it's really bad. Like it's because there are so many things that it can mess with your body with. So you really want to have a doctor's supervision. So I found a doctor that a lot of trans people used. Uh, there were recommendations from other trans people saying, oh, we'll go to this doctor and it, just a regular family practitioner, but he prescribed uh, hormones. And did he warn you about this going through puberty again? I think that we talked about it, but it's not really anything, because it's not informational based, there's nothing that you can know about it that's going to make it easier. What about your friends? Did you have uh, others that, that had been taking these hormones and they all warned you about it? Or did some say, well, gee, I never did had that. Oh, no, everybody has that. <laughs> Uh-huh. I think, yeah, that's, I think, a very common experience. I did have a few friends very early on when I transitioned, but I don't think that that's what we talked about. There were so many things to talk about. You're being too kind to me when you're saying how accepting I was and all that. Yes, the answer is right, and you got it right. But let's go back to a year before that. I think if you remember, you and I worked together, and we had a trans person there. And you can remember the comments that I used to make. Yes, I do. And it was not an accepting situation at all. It was an opportunity for me to uh, use it as a lot of times humor. And if you go back to my days in college and before, there were a lot of times when I wouldn't, wouldn't accept anything like that. And it was really more... For me, because of my nature, it was an opportunity for humor, and it was not appropriate. And you taught me something different there, and, uh, and that was a big deal. So it's not, uh, you're painting this picture of me and, and how great it was. Yes, it was, because it had to be immediately. I had to be, either you accept it or you lose them. And I never wanted to lose you. Well, and I think it wasn't just you, though, because, okay, it's sort of assumed that if you are transgender, that you've known your whole life. And I did, in a sense, know my whole life. I knew that I had an issue, but I didn't think that the the label for the issue was transgender. Mm. I thought, I just have a desire that, sure, I wish that I could be a woman, but I don't feel like I am one on the inside. And that's always the, the narrative that we tell ourselves is, oh, well, transgender people, you know, oh, well, you've always felt like really you are a woman on the inside. No, I didn't. I felt like, oh, I'm kind of stuck living as a man because that's what I am. But I'm not like those other weird people out there that... You know, that they think that they're a woman trapped in a man's body. I know that I'm a man. I just am disappointed. And so for me, it really let me avoid some of the, the implications of being transgender. And I was probably as transphobic as anyone else was. Yeah. Because, and and homophobic and all sorts of things. I mean, it's not like I'm exempt from this either. So Right. I, I have a lot of compassion for somebody that has never gone through this because, in a sense, I had a time where I never went through it. Mm -hmm. I understand that. It makes complete sense to me. I can understand that when you accepted it, it had to be, you know, all in. And, and me too, all in. And that, that changed for me. 
And it, I know it changed for a lot of people when you did that. I know uh, our family, our family almost became totally all accepting. I'm not sure they all did right away, but I am so thankful that I chose the route I chose to, to keep to keep us in a loving relationship with one another. It's a big deal. I don't know that I could have made it without you. I really don't know that I could have made it because you remember that day, and we can talk more about that in a future episode, but you remember that day when I was at my lowest and you were the one that gave me the nudge that I needed. And I'm not sure that I could have, if you were giving me a nudge in the other direction, I don't know how I would have made it. What I remember you saying, you were sitting in my office at my desk and you were crying and you said I lost everything. And I said, you didn't lose me. that everyone would feel welcome here listening to this podcast. We would like to have this be a place where you would feel comfortable listening, even if you are skeptical of LGBTQ claims or of really of the, the um, LGBTQ community in general and, you know, and all of this about pride and everything. If you think, well, that is not how God intended it, I hope that you would still come and listen and say, well, what can I do to strengthen my relationship anyway? Because I I would hope that even if you are not bought in, even if you are skeptical of what people like me have gone through, I, I understand that. And I don't think that you can just force yourself to change. You know, maybe you you've put a lot of thought in on this. And to ask to be, to to just give that up, that's not fair to you either. But what I would hope is that you would approach it from a place of love and a place of recognizing that, well, we, we see things differently. And at the very least, that you would see this as a problem that you would have compassion about, similar to the way that we might view a family member that's struggling with alcoholism or something else that we think is destructive, that at the very least that you would still maintain that relationship because you know that that relationship is what's important. And we want to hear from you because sometimes you're waiting for something that you want us to come up with and, and we don't know that we're going to be doing that and you're waiting and waiting for us to come up. So let us know about that. And you just... Uh, uh, send your questions, your emails, your topics to us, and uh, we'll take care of it for you. And And uh, we're looking forward to that. And we'll respond to any of your questions. We'll respond in all ways. We'll respond uh, from the point of view of the person who's transitioned. We'll respond from the point of the view of, of people who are having issues with that. And and uh, those those of us who are fathers and mothers and relatives who have had a difficult time accepting that. And I can tell you the main goal here is for us to really make certain that there's not some ultimative put between you that just severs a relationship. It's a relationship you can't ever go back to if you do that, and you don't want that. I am so pleased right now to have a daughter and it would be devastating if I didn't and to have to mend a broken relationship is difficult and many of you out there are doing that and that's tough it's I know it's tough but it doesn't have to be forever I remember hearing very early on and I was 
it, it made me so grateful for the relationship that we had. But uh, a transgender woman that I met online, and she said as soon as she transitioned, her parents said to her, you are now an orphan. And I can't imagine what that would be like. And what she went through and what the family went through and what kind of a family is that? And do they not think about the importance of people? At the end of our lives, what we're going to have is not our accomplishments or the hours that we put in at work. It's not going to be any of the things that we spend our lives pursuing. It's going to be our relationships. That's really, really critical. And it's so easy for us to sever that tie. And maybe it is because of, as Raya said, maybe it's shame. Uh, Maybe it's embarrassment. Maybe it's that you always felt that that is something you would absolutely could not accept, that that is something that's just not right. Maybe that's where you're at. And if you're there, there are ways around it. There are ways to heal that relationship. And we, we're going to be talking about that on a regular basis. In fact, we hope to address that in every one of our podcasts. Well, that's it for today. <laughs> Some more laughs next week. (laughs) So thank you all for tuning in and join us again next week. All right. There we go. (laughs) 